And now, City Slickers with Chuck and Victoria. Two judgmental New Yorkers talking movies. Welcome back. It's episode four of City Slickers with Chuck and Victoria. I'm Victoria Keelan. That's my fellow City Slicker, Chuck Curry. What's going on, Chucker? Another day, uh, another uh, non-dollar, Victoria, but I'm looking forward to this uh, week's podcast. And I I think we have a really good subject to talk about. Um, I remember movies of 1984 very well and uh, a lot to talk about. There you go. That's our topic for today. Uh, We're going to talk about the best movies of 1984. We're actually both, after you and I have talked about this a lot, Chuck, we've kind of both come to the conclusion that 1984 is probably the best year ever in the history of movies. And that's... That may sound like a bold statement, but after this podcast episode is over, you may actually agree with us when we tell you some of the movies that you might not even think of or remember as being from 1984 that are just household names to this day, all these years later, I think that 1984, we can make a very strong argument that that was definitely the strongest year. Something was in the water in Hollywood that year, for sure. You know, I look look at the list and doing some pre-work on the podcast, it is actually amazing how many good films, and you know, I always say the barometer for any really good uh, movie is will people be watching it in 10, 15, 20 years? And there's a whole slew of movies on this list from 84 that uh, people are still watching now, loving. Uh, and a lot of stuff is found generation to generation. But I got to ask you a question. I've seen a lot of these films. I remember sitting in a movie theater in 1984, enjoying so much of this stuff. And it brings back a lot of really cool memories. But were you even born in 1984? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can definitely tell you I have not seen any of these movies in a theater. Uh-huh. Well, let me ask you another question. Can you show uh, proof of ID before we start the podcast? <laughs> well, you know what? I am a movie fan, and so I have seen a ton of these movies throughout the years. And I didn't see them at the time, but you know what? In a sense, you you and I have such different perspectives on it because you were there in the excitement of a brand new movie opening up. And I'm seeing when I saw most of these movies, it was so many years later. And yet, you know, it, that can sometimes, you know, influence how someone sees a movie. If there's a lot of hype on it, or if you have an older sibling or an older cousin or a babysitter or somebody who says, Oh, Hey, you've got to watch this movie. It's great. You know, it always comes with a recommendation or there, there could be negative hype on a movie. Oh, that movie was terrible. But then when I watched it, I actually really loved it. So it'll be interesting as we go through the list of the biggest movies of 1984 to see how your reaction was seeing it for the first time in the theater and how I saw it you know, years later. I think that because our, we, we're very similar in our tastes, except for zombies, we're not there yet. But I do think you'll that we learn, probably you'll learn, have... Though. Yes. You'll, you'll learn. You, you'll you'll get with the game plan eventually. <laughs> but I do think that I do think we have a similar enough sense of humor for a lot of the comedies that I think we're gonna we're gonna have some. Uh, I think not so different views on it. So just for the sake of reference here, we have the the there were 100 movies that hit the box office in the year 1984. We're not going through all 100, but we are gonna hit some of the the big names, the names that are still household names today in 2017. So. Chucker, why don't you take us through the top of the list here? And the number one happens to be the biggest grossing movie of 1984. Yeah, it was uh, Beverly Hills Cop, which actually came out uh, in during the uh, 
Christmas season of that year, there was so many really good movies which we're going to get to that came out in the summertime, but Beverly Hills Cop came out a little bit later in the year. Uh, Eddie Murphy at the top of his game, and this was a massive uh, box office hit uh, at the time. Very popular. I got to say, I, I think I remember seeing this movie at least five or six times in a movie theater, and just to harken back, and I didn't see this movie in the theater, but I'm just going to give you an example. In the 1970s, I think it was... 1973, there was a movie called The Longest Yard, uh, which was a football film set in a prison that starred Burt Reynolds. And that was one of the first what they called audience participation movies where you got a crowd in a movie theater, watched a movie, and the crowd yelled back at the screen, got so involved in the storyline, laughing, and just really got involved with the character that uh, you had a great time. And Beverly Hills Cop, in my mind, was one of those films, Eddie Murphy playing you know, the Detroit cop, Axel Foley, who goes to Beverly Hills to solve a murder, uh, was a great storyline and a perfect vehicle, in my opinion, for Eddie Murphy's talent. Had a lot of really good supporting work in that movie by Judge Reinhold. But the chemistry between the cast was awesome. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, Victoria, people really laughed hard in this movie, got really involved. That uh, I remember it being a great experience that I went back a few weekends in a row to... Uh, Relive, But, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy's an interesting talent because the guy is so good, but in the last, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years really has not worked that much in front of the camera and certainly not given fans of his really good stuff like Beverly Hills Cop a chance to relive that stuff in the same type of uh, format. But Beverly Hills Cop was a great movie. It's an amazing movie, and it's one of those things that, like, it really shows the range that Eddie Murphy has because I think Eddie Murphy was never taken seriously as... A, as a sort of a, a dramatic actor, but he has so much emotion, and you see it in even movies like Coming to America. He flips between really hilarious comedic scenes to really heartwarming, even leading man type scenes, and I think that he has much more of a range than I think people really give him credit for, which is unfortunate, but um, Beverly Hills Cop, such a great movie. Not surprising that that's the biggest, that that was the biggest box office hit in 84. Right behind that one, though, was one of my favorites of all time. I watched it again yesterday. It was on TV, and that's Ghostbusters. I mean, Ghostbusters is, that transcends so many generations, and even, I just, my husband and I just wrapped watching um, season two of Stranger Things on Netflix, and that movie, that that series is set in 1984, and the kids in this second set, in the second season, they're all dressed up as the Ghostbusters for Halloween. And Halloween, that movie had just come out a few months before in 1984 when this when the series is set. And so to have a whole new generation of kids who are watching Stranger Things now still get the references to Ghostbusters and, and the popularity of that movie is just, it's really, it's just timeless. I think that's a movie that's going to be around for another hundred years. No doubt. You know, it's interesting uh, that, you know, the studio... Uh, did a female-oriented uh, remake of Go- Ghostbusters uh, last year with Kate McKinnon and uh, Melissa McCarthy. It was it okay. It sort of was a, a polarizing type of film. I got to be honest, on record, I dug it, and I thought it was uh, really good. I actually like Ghost- Ghostbusters too. also. I Maybe yeah. I'm a little bit in the minority, but no, I, I, I found it. that movie uh, a solid sequel and very entertaining. But I, I, I'll tell you real quickly to bounce into what's um, number four, on that list, on June 8, 1984, two movies opened at the, the same weekend, Ghostbusters and Gremlins. Uh, you know, I'll tell you a quick footnote. Originally, they wanted John Bellucci involved 
uh, as one of the Ghostbusters, but he wound up, uh, you know, uh, passing away. And they also uh, were very interested in having John Candy be one of the Ghostbusters, but that never materialized. But I, I think see this all is, of that know, working, though. I could see. Belushi. I think that would have been all. I think that all would have been really cool. But this, no doubt, was a launching pad for major, major stardom for uh, Bill Murray. And you know, I wonder, was well, if John Belushi was signed up for, for Ghostbusters, I wonder, is that the Ernie Hudson character then? Is that Winston? I don't know uh, the answer to that question. I think the Ernie Hudson, Hudson character, uh, for the most part, was, was uh, and I like Ernie Hudson a lot. I think he's yeah. a really good actor and a good screen presence. But I think he was downplayed uh, in the, in the uh, Ghostbusters movie f- to, to a point really setting, you know, the, the shining a light on, on Bill Murray Dan Aykroyd and uh, and and Harold uh, Ramis, and that's why some people regard Ernie Hudson as the fourth Ghostbuster, which is not really a, a fair uh, a tag to put him in. But uh, you know, clearly, I think for the most part, Ghostbusters was and always will be uh, Bill Murray's movie. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you know, another thing in, in I mean, so Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, Gremlins, which open like you said the same weekend as Ghostbusters, and then we have other movies that are that are also at the same time, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I, I mean, that's it's just it kind of blows my mind when you really look at all these movies on paper. All came out in 1984. I, I think it, you. I think by the end of this list, Chuck, I think someone's going to have to make the argument why this wasn't the best year ever for movies. You know, no, I mean, no doubt. It, it and a Indiana lot of Jones variety and the too. Of, in, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom uh, is my favorite Indiana Jones movie. I like it even better than the uh, original Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've seen this movie five times in the theater, and I, I simply like the fact that one, it's d- the darkest uh, entry in the Indiana Jones franchise. I like the kid, uh, Short Round, who is also <laughs> yeah. in the movie, The Go- the Goonies. And I actually like Data in The a Goonies. Lot of peop- yeah. A, a lot of people, uh, for some reason, really trash on uh, Kate Capshaw, who plays the character of Willie, the love interest of Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford, in that movie, who later married director Steven Spielberg, who directed the movie. But I think it's the fastest moving, the, the best action, the set pieces are awesome. It's a funny movie, and it, and it is dark in tone. And I'll tell you another quick footnote of 1984. When Gremlins came out, uh, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, a lot of parents, it was some backlash because one, Gremlins had that microwave scene where the mother in the movie puts uh, one of the uh, nasty gremlins in the microwave, turns it up, and blows them apart. A lot of parents had a lot of issues with that scene. And then the scene in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom where they like the voodoo doctor rips out someone's heart. You know, parent groups was like, you know, what what is this in a PG movie? Mm. So what happened is... Spielberg went to the film board and advocated a new rating, which was PG-13. And the first movie of 1984 that received the PG-13 rating wound up, be, wound up being the movie Red Dawn with uh, Patrick Swayze, Charlie Scene, and uh, C. Thomas Howell. Wow. Now, I've never seen Red Dawn. I know about it. It's it also the, one of the reasons I know about it is because it's pretty much spoofed in Hot Tub Time Machine, which is a comedy we talked about um, in one of our other uh, past episodes. And so it is kind of funny that that 80s theme of like Reagan and the Russians, and it kind of sounds like 2017 really all over again. But uh, it's, it is kind of cool that, you know, when you look back at these careers, and I think Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen played brothers in that movie, right? I believe so. You know, the interesting thing about Red Dawn politically, it's really... Uh, it's a really interesting 
movie. It's not believable, but the to- the, the setting of the movie is just like um, it's like an interesting fantasy mm-hmm. type setup where you got the Russians parachuting into I think Iowa and uh, you know basically taking over the United States and there's this high ki- uh, group of high school students led by Patrick Swayze you know fight back. Movies is exciting, but it's got some really um, really uh, how do I how do I put this? Uh, just it's got some ideas that I don't totally agree with. One, the, there's a there's a scene where Charlie Sheen, uh, I, I, or is it C. Thomas Howell, kills his best friend uh, in, in the movie for being a, a, a traitor. I always thought that scene was a little bit uh, uh, harsh and, and bizarre. But this movie has a big following. Another one of those films from 1984 that always plays on uh, AMC. And uh, people in 2017 are digging and watching Red Dawn. They did a remake a few years ago. It didn't really materialize as anything special. But uh, people love uh, Red Dawn. Yeah, I, I haven't – I've seen bits and pieces of it when it's on TV, but I never really held my interest. It kind of – I think they're in Colorado, and it's like, why oh, would the – Is it Colorado? Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, yeah, it's, really? The yeah. Russians are paratrooping into Colorado? They they skip it, the coasts? That's weird. Yeah, nobody <laughs> – but here's the thing uh, is is you're overanalyzing. Nobody noticed they did it. They had some really good parachutes. Not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the other movies, I mean, 1984 had, that was an action kind of thriller. Indiana Jones, of course, one of the best action thrillers ever. And then there were some other movies that had, that were just totally goofy. And then some other movies that had a lot of heart. There was a lot of variety. Like you mentioned, uh, of course, you know, Gremlins was one of the biggest grossing movies of 1984. And then, you know, in the top five is also The Karate Kid. And that was uh, that was a, a really unusual. If you really look back on it now, that's an unusual story. It's kind of a weird story, actually. It has some weird themes in it. It's just it's bizarre, but yet it still works. And I think even when people watch it today, it's still enjoyable. Uh, let me tell you something. Uh, the Karate Kid, and you're gonna think I'm insane. <laughs> I went to I went to I went to a theater during the summer of 1984 and watched the Karate Kid ten times in a movie theater. Really? Yeah, I, I, I did. And uh, don't tell my wife that. Uh, <laughs> but I I love that film. And um, What's the I, biggest I just, appeal that, that it had for you? Well, twofold. One, it was what they call a sleeper hit. When they released that movie, it was it was from the director of Rocky. John Alveson directed the film. A lot of the, uh, you know, A through Z, uh, beat for beat, uh, no, uh, notes of character uh, set up. Is, is, is very similar to Rocky, but uh, I think two things. Uh, R- Ralph Macho, I think, was perfectly cast, an unknown, primarily unknown actor at the uh, time, was highly likable. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the casting of Pat Morita as Miyagi, I think, he was, was brilliant. He was amazing, yeah. Casting. And f- for people who, who, in, who, who might know this, there was a TV show, actually, Victoria, called Happy Days in the 1970 <laughs> with a character called Fonzie. used to give the thumbs up. Ron Howard was in it. Yep. Very, very popular show in the 70s. But Pat Morita played a character in that movie. His name was Arnold, who owned the local diner. And on the show, he was really, really funny. And Pat Morita actually was a stand-up comic. That was his main forte, to do stand-up comedy. Wow. So they brought him in for a reading. He did the reading as Miyagi, killed it. John Alveson, the director, wanted to hire him. The studio gave him some backlash, but wound up uh, getting getting his way. But I think it's the chemistry between Ralph Macho and Pat Morita that really makes that movie fly. Also, Elizabeth Shue, one of the first things she's ever done. Highly appealing in that movie. And then I'll tell you a quick story. A few years ago, I did a... Um, a 30th anniversary in 2014 to the Karate Kid revival on the big screen at our local theater. And 
I got in contact with Johnny, uh, John Alveson, the director, because I knew somebody who was on our board of directors who went to college with John. So he gave me his email. I sent John an email. and I said, hey, John, my name's Chuck. I've been doing this radio show on movies, and I'm doing a revival of your film, The Karate Kid. Is there any way that you would uh, consider doing a taped introduction? For, for the audience in East Strasburg, Pennsylvania. So he sends me an email back and he says, Chuck, I'd love to do it. What do you need? So I just said, well, maybe you can go on camera and, and I'll give you a, feed you a few questions and you answer. So he goes back and forth emailing me like 20, 30 times. And the next day he says, hey, Chuck, I wrote a script for you. And I was like, holy smoke, you know, this is a director who won the Oscar for Rocky. is writing a script for me. I mean, you know, who, who am I? I felt like Moses. So anyway, <laughs> so, so anyway, to make a long story short, he does this 10-minute introduction that is absolutely amazing. And I asked him w- w- one question, and he answered it. And I said, why did you cast Ralph Macho as Daniel LaRusso in The Karate Kid? And he said one word. He said vulnerability. Ralph Macho had that quality that yeah. I was looking for. And originally, they did a screen test with Robert Downey Jr., who was a name oh. at the time, but not what he is now with Iron Man. Huh. But they liked, while they liked Robert Downey Jr. and the studio liked him, they went with Ralph Macho because he said he enveloped the, the word and the, the emotion of being vulnerable. It's and so uh, I true. think he nailed it yep. on the, the, the head. But that fight scene uh, in the tournament at the end of The Karate Kid, actually, in one of the ten times that I saw that in the theater, I actually timed it where I paid to see the movie at the three-quarter mark, so I could just see that scene. That's how much I like. That's how much I like that movie. I don't know if the, does that say something. Do I need therapy? Uh, yes. Um, yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's an easy I, yes. I, I, but in all seriousness, that movie is awesome. Yeah, and, it is. Uh, I like. I actually like the remake with Jaden Smith, and I and I be, I'm a big fan of Karate Kid Two Part Three. Uh, not so much. That movie is, is a mess, doesn't have much of a script to work with. But mm. 1984, Karate Kid was the true definition, Victoria, of a massive sleeper hit that played week after week based on simply word of mouth. Yeah. And, you know, and it's and it has a lot of heart, has a lot of different layers to it. A movie that doesn't really have any of that, but it's just a screwball comedy that was also a huge, huge hit in 84 was Police Academy. This was the first time that we saw Police Academy and it launched. How many movies did it make? Five? Four no, or five I think they did like I think they did eight or nine of the Police oh, Academy wow. films. So what did you think? And of Police I'll tell Academy? you a quick story about that about that franchise. The original Police Academy in E4, which is a big hit, and fit, I tell you, people in audiences laughed and laughed. That yeah. movie actually was very funny, but that was more of an uh, it was rated R, and it went for a lot more raunchy, R-rated, very adult humor. And all the sequels that followed were PG-13, so mm. they sort of went after a different audience yeah. with the sequels, trying to broaden the family appeal. But Police Academy with the awesome Steve Guttenberg. Um, I was a lot of fun. I like that movie. Yeah, that is a cute movie. I mean, you know, to me, it was, it was, I, I think that it probably, they probably had to lower the rating to PG 13 because so many kids probably thought, oh, that's a comedy that, you know, like kids can see. And then parents may not have realized that the first one was rated R. So right. in order to probably keep that audience there, that makes sense. Another movie from 1984. Now, this one, I understand some people love it. It's like the dirty dancing of the early 80s. I, I, I just can't stand this movie that was Footloose. What? I Are you cannot kidding me? stand Footloose. I hate Explain, everything ex- about ex- it. Exp- explanation needed. Why? I, I just I, honestly, there isn't anything like I find it 
incredibly difficult to care about anyone in this movie. I don't care about like the kids can't dance when I don't care. It's whiny. It's just, it's dorky. I think Kevin Bacon is a great actor. He's totally wasted in this movie. I just, I found absolutely nothing appealing about this movie. And I know people love it. They love it still to this day. I have friends, I have girlfriends who love it. I just can't stand this movie. You know, this is another movie. I did a revival on the big screen of a few years ago. We got a big crowd. I mean, I know people love it. Some of the bigger crowds we've gotten have been uh, 1984 movies that like can't miss uh, people wanting to relive this stuff back on the screen, big yeah. screen when I do classic revivals. But Kevin Bacon, I thought, was uh, really good in this movie. And John Lithgow, I think, gave some of his, you know, one of the best performances he's ever given. Uh, and you didn't find it believable that they would shut down people dancing in a small town back in the 1980s? I mean, no. <laughs> I thought it was okay. ridiculous. Uh, what about, I mean, did, did, did you see the remake? Uh, the re- no. Is, uh, I thought that was actually pretty... Ju- ju- uh, Julianne uh, Huff, right? Ju- yeah, uh, and, and you know, she's easy on the eyes, and I... Um, I, 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 I just li- hated I like the, the first remakes. one. Yeah, I hated the first one so much. There was no way you're really? going to get me to watch All the right. second one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, Fair I mean, too, now, like, we'll skip through the list here to get to some of the ones that I know you and I both, like, to this day feel really hold up. One okay. of those is, is I think it's a cute rom-com. Probably maybe one of the original, you know, ways that Tom Hanks became a household name is through the movie Splash with Daryl Hannah and Tom Hanks. I mean, I think... It was a cute movie. It's obviously preposterous. If we want to talk about you can't dance in 1984, you can't have a mermaid hanging out in Manhattan either, but whatever. No. <laughs> I thought it was a cute movie. I'm guessing this is not one that you would highlight. No, I, 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 I like the film. You know, it's interesting because I caught it on cable last year and I started to rewatch it. I didn't think it held up mm-hmm. uh, as good as some of the, uh, these other great movies on the list, but Splash was a big hit and it did a lot for the career of Tom Hanks. And what was interesting at the time is that Ron Howard, uh, initially early on in his, in his career, uh, used Michael Keaton, uh, as a star of, uh, a few, a few of his movies, one night shift, uh, which I, I love that movie night shift with Michael Keaton directed by Ron Howard. And then he did gung ho with Michael Keaton, another movie that I like Michael Keaton reportedly was close to getting the starring role in splash, but, uh, uh, Ron Howard went with, uh, Tom Hanks and Hanks really became a big breakout star with this movie. Daryl Hannah also pretty cool back in the day. And also John Candy was very funny in the supporting role. Oh, that's true. John Candy was just always a staple throughout all the good 80s movies, I think. You can't really go wrong if he's in it. Um, Next on the list is one that, you know, when you really objectively look at it, it's not a great movie, but yet it still, in a weird way, holds up, and that's Purple Rain. And I think the number one reason that it holds up is just to see Prince... Uh, with his stage presence and his screen presence, the the acting is terrible. You know, uh, the the plot is just kind of like, eh. I mean, I know it's loosely based on, or not that loosely based on his own childhood and his own relationship with his parents and everything. But it it's not a great movie, but for some reason, it still really does hold up. Yeah, I uh, I did a big screen uh, screening of it uh, after the death of Prince last year. We had a big crowd for that. Also, you know, it's interesting because it's hard to it's hard to really make a, a movie work with a, uh, you know, with 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 a, with, with a, a rock star, or a pop star right. type talent, put them in a in a starring vehicle and, and have the movie be successful. But this was successful. The one, the music is really good. Uh, 
He's actually a really interesting lead in the film, and um, the female lead, Apollonia, I thought was yeah. uh, very appealing in the film. But I, I do have to ask you one question, uh, giving you know, with the uh, a female point of view. When I watched it, and I had other people come over to me uh, after the, the screening, his relationship with her in the in the film was very. I don't want to use the word. I'm not going to use the word sexist, but it was kind um, of. That's a good word. Yeah, maybe sexist, but also it was also um, a tiny bit mean spirited and somewhat mm-hmm. aggressive. Am yep. I am I off base saying no, that? No, no, you're totally right. Which is weird because like that's the thing. Maybe if if we if this was just another actor playing a rock star and it wasn't actually Prince, maybe we wouldn't even be talking about this movie at all. But the fact that it is Prince and it it was his his music. Um, yeah, there's so many, there's misogynistic tones. Morris Day, who is sort of the comic relief in the movie, yeah. he yeah. and he's great in it, and I love him in it, and I love the time, I love the music, but like, I mean, even he was obnoxious. It's just... It, it's a it's a weird. This one's a little bit of a head scratcher for me. Like I'm I'm on board with it, but I'm not entirely sure why. You know, it's but, like. Yeah, a, but I I have to assume if it is loosely based on Prince's real life and he had a very hostile uh, relationship with his father, and evidently you know evident in the movie his father is abusive toward right. him. I, I guess the fact that he sort of uh, uh, lashed out on women in the same way I, I guess is is full front and center yeah. in the film as a, a you know a p- partial fact in prince's life i just think many years later watching that it was just it it, it felt it felt a little weird yeah uh, it's a little disturbing with, with it but is. it is a good movie it is a it is a good movie yeah. Well, the best movie of the year, which won the Oscar for Best Picture, is Amadeus. And talk about, I mean, that's the thing. 1984, like when we, the more I look at this list of movies that came out, it kind of blows me away, the variety. I mean, Eddie Murphy and Ghost, and, and Beverly Hills Cop, and then Ghostbusters and Gremlins, and then Footloose, and then Amadeus, a period piece about Mozart, and, you know, winning the Best Picture of the Year, which I, I think it's, it's a great movie. And I've seen this movie, I don't know, probably five times. Whenever it's on TV, it tends to come up on TV around the holidays for some reason. Um, and maybe people think it's a Christmas Carol. I don't know, but it's it, it does it does hold up in my mind. How what would you, did you ever see? Yeah, this I movie mean, it, listen, it's it, it, it was a good film, and it, and it starred an actor who you don't really you don't see any uh, no, uh, you know anything nowhere. from him. Tom Holtz. Yeah, and if you remember the the Ron Howard movie Parenthood a few years later, yes. which I think is one of the best things Steve Martin has ever. Done. Tom yeah. Holtz played the uh, the son of Jason Robards, who had that gambling addiction. I thought he was awesome. He's the he's the in, one in who has. Movie. He's really good. The guy was really good. Yeah, and and he's great in Parenthood. It's Parenthood is a very weird, melancholy kind of movie for me. I don't really love it, but like it's watchable. I like bits and pieces of it better than others. But it's it is kind of funny. Like my brother and I often joke. You know, whenever <laughs> whenever like to me when I think of Tom Holtz in Parenthood, I just think of him like showing up at his parents' house and he's got this little son and he's like, "This is my son." cool I mean he named his kid cool you know it's like <laughs> there's so many goofy parts in that movie and then there's some other like really crazy serious stuff too like I love that you're right you, you are right the tone goes up and down but yeah but I gotta tell you I I love I love Parenthood it's that's a great movie a lot of really good performances that's for sure um, another movie that you and I both, I know, have talked about, Chucker, that we really love from 1984, um, one of my favorite Robert Redford movies, The Natural. And I, I'm not even a huge baseball fan, but some of my, ironically, some of my favorite movies are baseball movies, and The Natural is like, definitely why, one of them. Wait, let's stop right there. Why don't you like baseball? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, why, I find am I, it... why, am I doing, why am I doing this podcast if you don't like baseball? <laughs> I just find baseball to be like kind of boring. Really? 
Okay. But did I do tell, love. Did you t- let me ask you a question? Did you tell your husband that? He 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 reluctantly still married me. Yes, okay. he he knows right. that it's not right. one of my. I know you and he are. Big <laughs> Mets. You guys are big Mets fans, but you know it's it's the weird thing. Like I love movies about baseball. I loved yeah. Eight Men Out. I love Field of Dreams. I love The Natural, but I just you know the sport itself. Eh, it's okay. Two base two best baseball movies for me is A Field of Dreams, which I. Love, love that movie, yeah. Very special movie. But The Natural's right there also. And yeah. you know, Robert Redford picking up that bat, Wonder Boy, that ending uh, when he hits that, uh, you know, that, that home run off the light stand, which was yep. a, a recreation of uh, a real-life event when Reggie Jackson hit a home run in an All-Star game in Detroit and hit the light post. I don't think the Sparks flew out of the light post like they did in The Natural, but the, the nat- what the natural captures about baseball in general is the mythology and the, sp- the, 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 the special meaning that the game has way beyond the stats and the numbers. And ro- listen, Robert Redford, uh, for my money, is one of the great movie stars of all time. Absolutely. And this movie was directed by Barry Levinson, who did Good Morning Vietnam and Rain Man, and um, he nails it. This, this, I love The Natural. Again, it's amazing. You know, if we did a list of movies that came out this year, we'd be out of steam already. Yeah. Um, but this <laughs> list goes on and on, and The Natural uh, is another one that is simply a awesome movie that yep. is generational. Pe- people watch it now and love it. And it's and it, the the period aspect of it was done so well. I think that's one of the reasons why it holds up really well too. You know, because you don't you don't feel like you're watching a movie that's dated. You're watching a period piece that happens to also be a great story with great acting. So I think there's so many cool things to it. You know, and the next two things on the list, uh, heading just you know down the list here of 1984 movies, two completely off the wall wackadoo kind of movies: Revenge of the Nerds and Bachelor Party. <laughs> Again, another Tom Hanks vehicle, but you know, still, like, it's just funny, like the variety. I mean, Revenge of the Nerds is goofy. It's funny. We talked about um, the guy; he was one of your top uh, biggest blonde douchebags on our last Ted episode. McGinley. Yep, and uh, you know, it's it's a fun movie. I don't know that it really holds up though today. I don't know. Have you seen it recently? Well, let me ask you a question: When you were in high school, mm-hmm. did you ever date a nerd? Yes or no? No. <laughs> okay. Not really. <laughs> okay. Then how can you relate to one of the best comedies of 1984? Listen, Robert Carradine nailed it as the, the, the lead nerd in that film. I mean, th- this was a really cool movie. And also, what other movie from 1984 prominently displayed at the end the Queen song, We Are, we are, uh, we, we are Champions? I mean. That's true. It doesn't. I mean, it, it was all. Now, getting back to Bachelor Party, mm-hmm. that movie, I tell you, in the movie theater was hysterical. I mean, the audience was really into that movie. That's a, it's a crude R rated comedy with Tom Hanks, really before he became a uh, mega star in that movie, uh, in, the, in, the, in the industry. But that is a really fun movie that holds up, has a big cult following to this day, Bachelor Party. Very funny. If you like R rated, raunchy comedies, that movie. Uh, is really really funny stuff. It is, yeah. I liked it too. I thought it was. I thought there was nothing wrong with a fun, goofy comedy. Um, you know, one of the movies that also came out in '84 that I didn't even realize came out in '84 until I was really looking at this list in depth was The Terminator. And that, to me, is a real groundbreaking action movie. And to have it, to think that it was all the way back in '84 is when it hit screens. That's a little bit mind blowing. Well, listen, Terminator is a game changer for a few reasons. One, it put the director James Cameron on the map 
who uh, did an amazing job on this movie on a fairly low budget. If you look at the animatronic special effects, a lot of them were done by Stan Winston. They're, they're, they're incredible. Linda Hamilton, uh, really cool as Sarah Connor in this movie. But the big game changer here is the casting of Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. who uh, made a creative choice to play the villain in, the, in, the, in, the, in this movie. Um, and, that, and that worked. I mean, he's a great... Uh, Terminator, and then you know Michael Bean, the lead in in this movie, also was really, really, really good, and, and his chemistry with Linda Hamilton is outstanding. Terminator is a sci-fi classic, and another one of those movies from 1984 that sort of really came out of nowhere because nobody knew who James Cameron was uh, at at the time. This was his first big hit before this he did a movie called Piranha the Spawning Part 2 which was a complete disaster and a bomb you know uh, a creative genius not a doubt in my mind and Terminator uh, really unleashed a great career from that director who ended up doing Terminator 2 The Abyss True Lies and of course uh, the Oscar winning Titanica he's got about 2 billion dollars in the bank Victoria so wow. he's, he, he, he did he's okay. done very well and he's you know I okay. think he of uh, probably of all the movies in 1984 and correct me if I'm wrong but but I would guess that maybe the most technologically advanced was Terminator in 84. Uh, if but it, it was, and if you look at what they shot that movie for, I think they shot it for under $5 million, which was not a lot of money. Wow, even that's like unheard back of Back in 1984. Today. But they did some groundbreaking stuff with the money they used. And uh, a lot of heart, a lot of soul, and a lot of uh, scotch tape went into making that movie. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it just turned out to be a classic film. And some of the other like stranger movies that came out in uh, in '84, um, I'll just scroll through some of these. There, of course, like every year, there are a ton of movies that no one's ever heard of, no one's ever seen. '84 um, certainly had a whole list of those as well. But you know, there are other movies like the Friday, like Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter. That that was not the final chapter, though. <laughs> right? Isn't that? I was going to say, how can it be called final chapter when it really wasn't? Let me ask you. Let me let me let me just say this: You have not lived life. Until you've seen a Friday the 13th opening weekend in a movie theater. I those have not lived packed, life then. The, 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 you, you're, you're missing the boat there. But <laughs> let me tell you, those movies packed theaters on opening weekends. I mean, I think I went to see every one of them in, in a theater, and uh, I got something out of, yeah, I guess, you know, prototypical, proto, prototypical slasher fare. But uh, they scared you, and they scared audiences. And, um, you know, nothing special, but uh, I got to say I liked them. Yeah. Another movie that uh, launched, where an 84 seemed to be a year that launched a lot of careers as well. And one of those actors is Kyle MacLachlan in the movie Dune. This was, um, I've become a, I've always liked Kyle MacLachlan. You're going to laugh at this. My first real experience with Kyle MacLachlan was as Charlotte York's husband, Trey, in Sex and the City. <laughs> but okay. I have recently become a big Twin Peaks fan. And my husband and I just watched the whole first two seasons of it. I watched the movie Fire Walk with me. Uh, we haven't seen the newest installment yet we're going to watch that together but that but dune the uh david lynch who created twin peaks and who was just like the craziest dude ever i think mentally he saw kyle mclaughlin in dune and knew he was the guy who needed to play agent cooper in twin peaks that launched his career so i've never seen all of dune i know sting makes a pretty good appearance looking really really fine in like a loincloth so that's pretty much all i remember from dune but um, what I know a lot of guys still to this day really like this movie. Are you, you know, one of those guys? It, it, I can't say I, that I am. Dune is a really interesting movie in that when it came out in 84, it came out to a lot of fanfare. The studio which released it, which was Universal Pictures, spent a lot of money on it. 
and uh, you know some people really dug it. They thought it, it it was it was I guess it's based on 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 a, a very popular novel, but by 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 this by the same name. And uh, some people found that like, it was like watching paint dry, and they were bored. That's my impression. Other people really got into it, yeah. but it's going to be remade actually. Doing the director of uh, Blade Runner. Uh, the latest Blade Runner film, 2029, and who, who guy, Dennis uh, I think his name is, uh, who directed the movie Prisoners, a movie I like with Hugh Jackman and Paul Dano. He's going to direct the, the uh, Dune remake. So this franchise in, or material has a lot of viability uh, to remake it, but it is a very polarizing movie that does have its fan base, but it also has a lot of distractors also. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I thought it was a little bit slow, too. But, uh, hey, lots of eye candy for the ladies, at least. Kyle Mc- young Kyle McLaughlin, young Sting. I mean, that's, you know, what else is I'll there? Take, I'll, ta- I'll take your word for that one. <laughs> um, another <laughs> movie that, that was in 84 that I have seen a bunch of times and absolutely love is The Muppets Take Manhattan. And this was apparently, it took, I think, eight years between the Muppet movie before that, uh, which may have been, what, The Muppet, The Great Caper? I forget what the one that was right before it, but you're Muppets... asking me to do, you're asking me to do uh, now you know uh, Jim Henson uh, and the Muppets. I, I know well I, I do I do, but I can't tell yeah. you off the top of my head. I know uh, each, each the title of each installment though. Yeah, well the Muppets Take Manhattan. It's interesting when I was reading a little bit more about it. I mean I love the movie. I think it's cute, but um, apparently lots of lots of conflict behind the scenes, and uh, I think there was a change in director that kind of got the project delayed. A lot of major cameos dropped out. Apparently, Dustin Hoffman was supposed to be in it, and he dropped out like the day before they started shooting. Okay. And so other people dropped out as, as a result of following along with Dustin Hoffman. But it's still, you know, I mean, The Muppets Take Manhattan in 84, it still made, you know, almost $26 million at the box office, which I think is pretty impressive. It, I oh, certainly didn't those, cost those, anything those like that. Those movies were, those movies were uh, very popular. And listen, it, it's good to have a diverse, and you, you need you need family, uh, you know, family-type uh, films. And The Muppets always fit that... Uh, Always fit that bill. Yeah, it's true. Now, um, a few more of like the you know t- classic '84 type you know rom coms. Sixteen Candles is '84, which I didn't even Absolutely. realize. I thought that was like '86 or '87, but I mean, Sixteen Candles. What a great movie, and that really, really holds up in my mind. Very good movie. Anthony Michael Hall as a child star was really funny. And let's be honest, Molly Ringwald is is going to live in pop uh, pop culture infamy yep. as uh, one of the most popular things back in the uh, 1980s. And their pairings were always a, a lot of fun. It's a, it's a very good movie, uh, Sixteen Candles, that, again, to this day, has a really good following. I just want to bounce into a, into a few uh, from, from 84 that, that I like. There's a movie called Teachers. If you like movies set at high schools, I really like that one, starred Nick Nolte, uh, Nick Nolte, uh, an actor who had a lot of trouble uh, with, with substance abuse, uh, is really good in this film. He didn't always look that healthy, but I got to tell you, I, I'm a big fan of Teachers. I think I saw that like four times in the theater. It also co-stars Ralph Macho from The Karate Kid as a uh, as a as a student. Uh, there's a movie called The Last Starfighter uh, that came out in 1984, which has a, a, a very strong following. And a movie called Night of the Comet, also in 1984. And what those two movies have in common is stars and actress named Catherine Mary Stewart, a really appealing 
good-looking actress from the uh, 1980s. That was sort of a claim to fame, these two movies, Night of the Comet, Last Starfighter. And she was also the female lead in Weekend at Bernie's. And the reason I reference her is she lives in New York City, Victoria, and uh, I got her to come up to East Strasburg to screen two years in a row. One was Night of the Comet, uh, and then also last year we did... Um, uh, or this year, earlier this year, we did The Last Starfighter, and she was so cordial enough to do a Q&A up on stage with me, met with fans. We had an awesome time. She's an awesome person. Again, Catherine Mary Stewart, who was in two really popular movies back in 84. One, a very, a very strong cult appeal called Night of the Comet, sort of an end-of-the-world post-apocalyptic movie about two valley girls who survive a, uh, a comet turning the entire populace to sawdust. And then The Last Starfighter, a really nifty sci-fi movie shot on a moderate budget that uh, was a lot of fun also. Very cool. Well, you know, since we are city slickers and we're both fellow New Yorkers, we should probably end our list on a movie that's set in New York and certainly has, uh, to this day, a cult following. Wasn't necessarily one of my favorites, but I'm interested to see what you think about The Pope of Greenwich Village. Uh, Charlie, you got my thumb. Uh, I, 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 remember <laughs> that, I, I remember that line. That movie actually made a big name out of uh, Eric Roberts, who's Julia Roberts' brother. Yeah. I mean, he's consistently wor- worked throughout his career, but he really gained a lot of popularity in that movie. Mickey Rourke was the co-star. Um, I like that. I like that movie a lot, actually. Mick, listen, Mickey Rourke, for people who don't know, uh, you know... I loved him in that. I thought he was great. He was nominated a few years ago for The Wrestler. He was really good. Excellent. Played the villain in Iron Man 2. But Mickey Rourke was a big thing in the 1980s. And uh, Pope of Greenwich Village from 1984 is a really solid film with two good star-making performances by Mickey Rook and Eric Roberts. What what are your thoughts on that movie? Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, it was a little violent for me and and not really my kind of cup of tea in terms of subject matter, but I did think the performances were great, and I agree with you. It was the first time I've ever seen Mickey Rourke. I I had seen him in The Wrestler, and I thought he was wonderful in that, and I'd seen him in Iron Man 2 as the villain. I thought he was great, but this was the first real movie of, like, young... I don't want to say good-looking, but better-looking Mickey Rourke. Um, and I thought he was excellent in the movie. I think he really carries it a lot. I, I don't know that yeah. I would have liked it at all if he hadn't been in it. So do you like Mickey Rourke pre- or post-facial uh, plastic surgery? Oh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it was kind of surprising. To see what he, it actually was surprising to see what he looked like before all that. I was like, oh, before wait, I, I didn't know who up, he was. I just wanna, uh, be- before we round this up, I just want to point up a couple others. 84 had two Stephen King movies, Firestarter with Drew Barrymore. I did not. I think it's an awful movie. Children of the Corn has a following. It's just okay. And then uh, we had a Superman spinoff, Supergirl, with actress Helen Slater, which was a box office disappointment and I think creatively also a disappointment. And then Freddy, Klu- Freddy Krueger was unleashed upon the masses, Victoria, with a nightmare on Elm Street, a great, great horror movie uh, that stands the test of time. One it's of your favorites? True. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting when looking at this whole list, if you had to pick, do you have one movie from 84 that, that would just be your like desert island pick that you could watch over and over? That's, you know, that's a good, uh, good question. It, it, would, it, would be t- it would be two. It would be, it would be Gremlins and it would be, the, uh, it would be the Karate Kid. If I went to a B-movie fair, uh, it would probably be Night of the Comet. Huh. 
Okay. Well, I've got, I mean, I've got one. There are a lot of great movies in here that I love that I've definitely seen a million times, but I never, ever, ever get sick of Ghostbusters. And actually, when I look out of my, uh, my back window in my apartment in Manhattan, we actually look right at the El Dorado, which is the building, it's the uh, residential building on Central Park West that they, they modeled the top of the building. They recreated it to build the top of the, of the building in Ghost, Ghostbusters where, you know, like Sigourney Weaver is and where they have the final standoff with Mr. Stay Puft and everything. It's all based on that building that I look at every day. So I think I, I'm, I have a constant reminder and soft spot for Ghostbusters. So that will always be my favorite movie of 84 and many other years, you know, nothing else compares to it. But, you know, if I last thing, if I have, a, if I had, if I had to give one pick of a movie people might not have seen from 1984 that I mm-hmm. recommend, it's a movie called Body Double, a Brian De Palma movie, which is the first time I saw Melanie Griffith on the uh, big screen. Um, I really dig that movie. It's hard R. It's got a, a, a lot of sex, violence, which uh, of course I don't have a problem with. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I like that movie. A lot. It's called body, body double. double. Okay, cool. Yep. Never heard of it, but hey, I'll check it out on your recommendation. How many? How many zombies would you give it in your rating system? Body of double. One I, to give five? It, I give it four. I give it four out of five zombies. I liked it that much. Wow. All right. Interesting. Yes. And of course, Ghostbusters. To me, I use glasses of wine as my scale. That's a five. There is no way that Ghostbusters will ever be anything less than five glasses of wine for me. So, all right. <laughs> I think, you know what, I think after going through this list of, of movies from 1984, I think we've pretty much proven our case, Counselor, that uh, no other year in the history of film is better than 1984 as a movie. I don't know what Hollywood was drinking, I don't know what was in the water, but what an impressive, incredible year. No doubt about it. And I, and I tell you, I had a lot of fun talking about it. Absolutely. All right, we'll be back next week with another episode of City Slickers with Chuck and Victoria. Be sure to follow us and subscribe at City Slickers Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, leave us a review on iTunes, guys. That helps us a lot. Thank you. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Bye, Chuck. Always a pleasure.